soul open wide, light streaming, light streaming, eyes blazing wide, mystery within our skin, within our skin. Teach me how to pray once more, opening my white heart's door. Oh, praise, oh, praise. This life begins, this life begins. Open round sphere of the sky. Star drop birth with water, yai, O earth, O one we walk upon, we skin of yours and heart of stars will always re-become, O one, O praises high, O one. Welcome to my fifth podcast of Micah Sun Reflections. Drop deep for a moment, getting art to your ears. Specifically my own original art at this point. That's why I'm going under the artist's name, Micah Sun. You can find me online. I've got a poem for you and some reflections on the state of one of the conversations on appropriation that I am party to recently, as well as some other thoughts. And we'll be ending with a original song of mine to bless out this podcast. May your life be bright. May your struggles be worthy. May your lessons Come soon and with clarity. May your dreams be peaceful. May your smiles be radiant and frequent, ever present. In love, Micah Sun Reflections. Street sweeper. Along crumbling shadows and alleyway corridors, I am the cat's tongue washing the asphalt impossible faces of cities. And there I have found the ghost of blood lingers where blood has long since flaked away and been thrown to the wind. The spiral recurrence of memory. And then winter comes. With each night, a lace frost cocoons around windows, stretches out over concrete, its prying fingers threading towards soft loam and disintegration. A dry rain rolls over the gutter babies with the day's sweat from hot brick sides of skyscrapers, water rattling down their throats as the moon rises over the city. 
the illuminate elbow of God propped against men's fancies. I find my babe in the rain wash tonight, and I am a rag doll's father. While I kiss her face, blue runs from her eyes like oil. But she nods when I say, Do you hear the city? Black wings beating against the sky. My darling, my rag doll, over the crook of my arm, your eyes fall back and I know you are watching. This is how we hold one another, tenuous in the silence before movement, like echoes in pipeline. And I hear it in the hush of chorus blooming from your throat, in the trembling white lace of your ribs, you are pushing to catch the dark air. You are rising above the city. And there, from the roof edge of the highest building, its lights popping on like a scattered chorus of fireflies, I hold you out for the hazy red opening sun. As you try to catch the dark air with your feathered arms, Will the city reach for your seamless body? Will it gather you as gently as a child when you fall? That poem, Street Sweeper, I wrote long ago. I wrote when I was in early high school. I remember my dad, who loved poetry and loved showing off or being proud of his child made quite a big fuss over this. And I ended up using it for a submission to university when I was applying to school, which is what you do in some families after high school. And I have never been sure what it's about. I feel like it could have been in part about one of my love relationships I had in which I felt a bit like a savior of a young woman who was suffering a lot at the time. But there's so many mythic images in it. For me, growing up rural was meant that the city held a certain mystique, it held a certain archetypal resonance that I picked up probably in part from the reading I did, voraciously reading, as I did when I was young, partly from travels to Philadelphia from rural upstate South Carolina when we visited my grandparents, my Oma and Opa, with their German roots, Oma and Opa, and would take the trains in to the center of the city, which was a magical journey I would take with my grandpa every time we visited onto the city train from Orland, a suburb of Philadelphia, into Center City. It was just amazing. He was so good in that way. And reading it this morning, I woke up just with this in me. I recited the entire thing before I turned the lights on in my heart. I read it. I heard it out loud. And am actually imagining a graphic novel with this, a sort of a one of those um, 
poetic graphic novels. Um, I'm thinking of a particular one I've read. I forget the name. I will look it up. But uh, beautiful watercolor wash. Kind of uh, reminds me of The Crow, the movie a little bit, or the comic, as I read later. Um, so I'm putting the call out to any graphic artists who want to illustrate this. And just went outside this morning before doing this and prayed to finish my art. It's been a journey for me, revising and loving and rediscovering and reloving and revising a lot of things, my poetry, my, my songs, which are a form of lyric poetry with music. And um, I don't know how it feels to finish and produce, but I want these works of art to be out in the world. I want them to be accessible because to be honest, the resonance they have in my heart and my soul and my spirit is so strong that I, I, I want to share that. I want to share that. And I have confidence there are people who will resonate with this type of thing as well, with this work. Um, so I just made a prayer to morning as I do at times go out and, and pray. Sometimes I call in the directions as I was taught through my rather appropriative, mostly white men's spirituality group, um, Mankind Project, which I can't recommend enough. It's incredible therapeutic um, inner work for transformation. But um, yeah, but that's that was what they were using when I was initiated was direction calling. And I, I love that spirituality. Um, perhaps this part two, as we're moving into part two of this podcast, of this audio transmission, um, is, is a thought about um, the spirituality I grew up with. And it was pretty much zero, being a white man in the United States with relatively well-off, what was then upper middle class, I would say, parents who were teachers, so well-educated. I was taught to read by the age of three, was reading newspapers for candy, actually, at the local, at the local, um, you know, grocery store, the little mom and pop, or just maybe just mom and mom, mom and grandma kind of, uh, kind of place. But I was not given a spirituality background, and I did not grow up Christian, although my mom had attended some Christian um, schooling, and I was not brought up by my dad that way. He rejected his Baptist upbringing at a young age, thinking it was logically absurd what they were teaching in the mountains of North Carolina, um, which is true, I think, you know, that literal heaven and that sort of thing. Um, and really tapped into, um, what my mom gave me was Greek mythology. And that was a powerful resonant mythology. And I got also fables, a lot of collected, um, fairy tales and fables, which also have a very deep psychological and archetypal root to them. Um, and I remember speaking with God as a young person. I was very skeptical, but also sort of mystical in the tradition of the romantic poets. 
I said, God, if you're, if you're real, would you just prove it to me? Just please prove it to me. And, um, it took years for that proof to come. And that was in the form of inexplicable synchronicities, um, of things happening in the universe that were beyond my comprehension of being able to be attributable to randomness, which was the dominant paradigm of the scientific world, which I was definitely brought up in, was still this sort of rational positivist randomness. We're just random associations of particles with no meaning and that sort of thing. And that's just, that's about as absurd of an existential base as perhaps to me even more than, than some of the absurd religious cosmologies. But something in me certainly yearned for depth and meaning and, and a connection to the psychic world and to the world of the inexplicable, which is real, experientially real. And a lot of you have experienced these miracles, nothing to say but miracles, even the miracle of existence. I mean, that we're here at all. You know, the first a priori in, in philosophy, one of the philosophers in Western teaching I got as an undergrad um, is basically, you know, I think, therefore I am. And that to me is profound. I mean, I, I undeniably we are. We are. And there's the reality of experience and the depth of feeling and emotion and the power that comes through love and connection and and excitement and beauty and the resonance of, of art and of the beauty of the natural world and of people, the connections between people are so profound. There's an obvious de facto meaning in that, a de facto reality. And um, I'm going to check to be sure it's recording. It apparently is. Yes. Good. <laughs> I couldn't do this over, I don't think. Um and so that, that is a deep, a deep held belief of mine. And later in life, running into the power of prayer to access these places. And as a young person, I started writing poetry, which, as I said, my dad was thrilled about. I think he, I know that he always aspired to be a writer. That was a big deal for him. And so I think he projected a bunch on his child, myself, you know, and kind of, overreacted a little. I was very shy and protective of my work and it just kind of like made me hide it even more. Um, but he definitely appreciated my writing. And I, at this point in life, have to say thank you, dad, for, for feeling the beauty of that. Cause that was a part of it was he felt the, I think the beauty of what that was, what that, what that meant. Um, But I started to access the poetic in other forms, including prayer and including just spontaneously calling out, like I was saying, the directions, for example, north, east, south, west, up, down, and center. And that's, that sort of thing is powerful. Each of them represents an archetype. And there's several traditions I know of of the directions. And there's a lot of them in probably most indigenous or earth place based societies, probably everywhere. I mean, directionality is important and that includes mankind project, which um, really helped me heal and transform. If you think of something that mixes maybe 
Alcoholics Anonymous's very powerful 12-step program with group therapy, with psychodrama, with mystic theater, with real like weekend-long initiations um, for men, with a purpose-driven kind of you know life coaching aspect, um, with an accountability group, with quite a few other exercises, and then there is a lot of outreach, especially from individuals in the community, but um, you know, kind of like from Good Samaritan work even more than that, just like good outreach, trying to heal young men and bring them up into a a culture of love and accountability and honesty. It's, it's a really good group. And the spiritual piece, um, I will call it white men's spirituality for the most part in my group, at least. And I live in Asheville and it's, there's not a whole bunch of, of, racial diversity within economic classes here. Um, and I can wish that were different, but it's just not. So there's not many men of color in my group or native men. Um, there are quite a few, um, there's a a whole, um, sexuality spectrum, you know, from gay to queer to very straight men. So that's at least one place that there's some diversity but we would drum and we would light fire and burn the sage and smudge each other and call in the directions. And we would have what they're saying not to call sweat lodges at this point um, and do a lot of things from white U.S. hippie, including like hippie appropriative native tradition kind of thing. The sort of stuff started way back in the 70s and before Um, And there's a lot of buzz right now on the threads at Mankind Project about this being appropriative, about not using the term sweat lodge and all this sort of thing. And I've got some really strong opinions about that. But I've also learned that some of those reactive opinions come from my own programming as a white man in a privileged, appropriative culture. Um, So I am not going to share those because I think there's some layers of of ignorance in what I'm feeling around that. Um, and I also appreciate exploited cultures, not wanting to continue to be exploited and to have a voice and the anger. And I think there's triggers in that, that anger too. So it's a really hot topic in me as well as in the, in the community chats. Um, but I want to say that I, I don't, I don't know how to have had a spirituality doing what in some places say, oh, well, look to your own ancestry. Well, it's, it's in part Scotch-Irish Protestant Christianity, which I, I just don't resonate with that. It's, it's, it's ridiculous to me. And, and I, I have a great appreciation for Christian mystics and for some of the environmental Christians and some of the Christ consciousness Christians I've met. There's a whole gamut of mysticism and I, in fact, even had a day of, of the time when I accepted Jesus in my heart, and it was in a meditation in America's Georgia. So technically, some people would call me Christian, um, and I access that love place that Jesus Christ represents to me at times. And I've got a few friends here. It's, it's a little bit like you keep it under the rug at parties in my circles at Asheville if you actually have Jesus as one of your great gurus. 
Um, but I've got friends who are, are in a similar boat to me with that. But, you know, mainstream Protestant Christianity, fundamentalist, just doesn't make sense to me. So I, I couldn't go to those roots, the Scotch-Irish roots that are in part mine, or even Catholicism for my Italian, which is... And, you know, and I have the the luxury of knowing my roots. I guess anyone can use Ancestry.com now, but it's, you know... What do you do? And I'm, I didn't, wasn't raised like Celtic or mystically Catholic, you know? So I've, my roots, I guess, are the romantics, um, which were also a strong thread. And it, it's been a, it's been a struggle to find that. And I guess, you know, I do some pagan work, celebrate the quarters and the cross quarters and go to Beltane and Samhain and love that. But I mean, that's, is that appropriative too? It's, it's a real challenge for me as a, as a white man without roots who doesn't fit into mainstream culture. And a lot of this stuff like calling in directions and the sweat lodges are fricking powerful to me. They've woken me up and I want to say thank you to whatever cultures they came from. And in our case, I think we got a lot from Native American cultures. and um, But I know that tons of cultures around the world have, um, have heat sauna things that they do. It's simply just healthy um, for a lot of people. Um, so anyway, giving a nod to my spiritual roots. Now you know I'm going to wrap this section up and, um, and just say thanks with a great deal of gratitude and a desire to not exploit these traditions, but to give them as much honor as I can. But also to admit, I am attached. I'm attached to those things that, that bring me such depth of connection and prayer. The same way maybe I'm attached to my, my poetry and to the poetry of others that really moves me. I remember, and I'll end here, the sort of synchronicity that um, that turned me on to quote the proof of God when I said as a young, young person, prove to me, God, that you exist if you do. So I can settle this whole like bullshit, you know, debate that's going on for me. And in, in undergraduate college at Vanderbilt University Library, I was doing what I did sometimes randomly walking through the library. And what should I run into? But um, just randomly on the shelf, I reached out, I was drawn to a book. I don't know if you all have had this experience of just something draws you in, some energy. I do it shopping sometimes. I'm like, I need a new pair of boots. And I'll like, boom, just stop, turn right, be in the store, head to the boots, first pair I pick up, done. And it's been like weeks of me imagining I need a new pair of work boots. True story. And in this case, I just was like, and pulled out a book of Rilke. And I don't even think I knew I was in the poetry section or that floor. And there it was, German on one side, English on the other. Frickin' profound, profound poetry for me. The sort of ecstatic work that Rumi and Hafiz and um, Rilke is right in that that group of poems, poetry, poets. Um, And that was a real, that was just, I mean, how, how likely is that? You know, and what energy was I following? Is it, you know, there's a lot of possible explanations, but that's part of the mystery and the wonder underneath the world that's so important to me. 
All right. Well, I'm going to conclude, I think, with another poem and um, look forward to touching souls with you again. Thanks for listening. Micah Sun Reflections at micasun.com. Now for the lower tech side of things. I'm dictating into my iPhone 6S using voice memos and the onboard microphone. For those of you techies out there who want to know how it's done, I've been podcasting using anchor.fm, which really makes my workflow easy compared to how I had researched doing podcasts in the past. So thank you. And the customer service was very helpful early on for me. I'm still teaching at an outdoor preschool in Asheville, North Carolina. Thinking about fire as we move into the winter season. It's actually only October, but I'm feeling the cold. And fire makes me think of fire child with the preschool children around and all the adventures of fire child. Other stories I am gestating is the performance and music piece similar perhaps to Appalachian Winter, which was my podcast episode four. This one is about a fishing expedition which is um, actually an initiatory journey here in southern Appalachia. And I'm reflecting on the elements, earth, air, water, and fire, grounding into the middle plane of existence, working today with earth and air, a duo I have not as typically worked with. Mostly I've embodied water or fire. They're a lot more popular polarity. But today, creating structure as earth and putting the pieces in place to make a foundation and interspersing that with air, as I do right now, getting out and walking around and blowing through ideas and keeping things in motion like a whirlwind of dust. Air is balancing earth, and honestly, I do feel like earthing and foundationing my work, both in the virtual and digital worlds and websites, as well as my computer, as well as the actual tools, are very important steps, especially because I'm trying to balance a five-day-a-week part-time job that takes up my mornings. Today happens to be Sunday morning and make it work in terms of my art. I've been listening to Marius Stark, among others, on SoundCloud recently this morning, and really feeling blown away by that sort of ritual, ceremonial, pop, orchestrated kind of music. Just really powerful stuff, and um, actually I'm dreaming of sending her a little message with a link to one of my songs since I am also on SoundCloud at Micah Sun. I feel close to ready to releasing a slew of songs 
and hope to be doing that soon, all in good time, which is hopefully timely. You can find me on Patreon.com at Appalachian Season, which is the overarching term or meme for my life work, which has a lot to do with ecology, mythos, mythopoesis, grounding into place on Earth, and unfolding healing and connection at the soul level towards a planet we share. This is a dream which sometimes I think will be another thousands of years in the making. I think of the future of a thousand years sometimes when I realize that the arc of history has included dominance, patriarchy, hierarchy, and empire in its destructive, greedy nature for so long, so long, that I hope for a change seven generations down the road, nay, a thousand years. And yet I know my every step, my every action now will have repercussions on that. As in my Firebird song, Are we like stars in the sky, burn for a moment, then darken? Out of each circle of flames, countless new stars can awaken.
Firebirds spreading her wings Firebirds spreading her wings Firebirds spreading her wings Firebirds